and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. 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 Did you have a nickname in high school? Probably one, not a nice one. <laughs> but nothing with Kriegbaum or like Da Bomb mm. or Let's Krieg or mm. Bomb Dickity no, or anything. Not that I can think of. Were you cool in high school? What do you define? What do you mean? Like I, in the popular group or were you like a theater kid no, or like I a kind of math anything. nerd? No. I got bullied a lot. Really? Yeah. By whom? We haven't talked about this? No. High school was a very dark time. It's a dark time for everyone, but... I got like bullied in like a very dark way by like very mean girls. It was very strange. That's weird. So what was your vibe? Were you like indie and like hippie? No, I think I, I really... What, what can you say? I mean, I was a cheerleader. I was on okay. a country western dance team. Now it's all coming back to me. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm like understanding a little bit how and why you might be picked on. Continue. No, that, it was the cool thing to do at my high school. Is that like line dancing, like achy breaky heart? Yes, and then you had your partner that you would have for the whole year. It was guys and girls. And you would perform choreographed dances and they would do stunts or like lifts or whatever they would throw you in the air and you'd flip and they'd catch you so it's like a mix between cheer and it's not cheer no, no 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 it's almost like swing dancing have you ever seen like swing dancers yes. and, the guy, like, and that gets like very intense yeah. yeah it's like that yeah oh interesting i know do you still have your boots <laughs> i do wear justin ropers still but they're not the same ones i wear a pair of white justin ropers sometimes and I don't still have any of the uniforms because, you know, you have to give them back. Do they, like, tart you up in the uniforms? Yes, we had to wear – there was a specific Revlon red lipstick that we had to Cherries wear. Cherries in the snow? Maybe. That's, like, the old lady remember. one. It looked really bad on me. And, yeah, I don't know. My I skipped school a lot. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> I was kind of got in trouble a lot. I was – look, I think I was just very aware of what was going on in the world at large, and it felt like high school world was, like, very small in comparison. But everybody – it was very important to everybody else, you know? Yeah. I kind of get that. But I'm like um, trying to picture you as a country line dancer. I can't. I think I just really wanted to like fit in and like, yeah. and like impress like teachers and parents. And, you know, like I just really, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. My senior year in high school, I was on the lacrosse team <laughs> and I did it. Because, like, my two best friends were on the lacrosse team, and I went to a school whose lacrosse team was not great, and I was the <laughs> goalie. I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I yeah. guess if you were on the varsity <laughs> lacrosse team. Exactly. What does it say about the <laughs> but team? But you do. You know what? You do, actually. I was thinking about this. You work out a lot. You're an athletic guy. I work out a lot. I did not at that point, and I was put in the goal because really all you have to do is block the ball. But then when I like started having to practice and I was like, that ball is hard and it's coming fast. Like I'd rather get out of the ball than, than get hit with the ball. Yeah. Suffice it to say, I, I played like one game and then was benched for the rest of the season. Huh. I also was the manager of the girls ice hockey team though, which That's was fun cool. because we got to like just hang out at the ice hockey rink. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And like eat snacks. That was my vibe for athletics. But anyway, enough about the past. Let's talk about now. We're recording this on April Fool's Day. So I'm like on, I'm on edge because I think that everything is an April Fool's joke. It's also Earth Month. So like I can't tell whether people are being honest or in earnest or sarcastic with their like Earth posts. I like look at every Instagram campaign and I'm like, is this a fucking joke? But I don't I, think it is. I'm getting a little bit fatigued by brands hitching their wagon to different causes. And I don't know. I just. April Fool's Day is a cause I can get behind, but it's. I don't I know just, that I've ever been fooled. I can't think of a time I have. You did come on this Zoom with a brand new, very brightly colored cap. Which, Which is not a joke. Threw me off. <laughs> Nobody kind of threw me off. <laughs> I did get a email today from Magic Spoon saying they launched macaroni and cheese cereal. Like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I know. Gabby, we have to talk about that one. Gwyneth Paltrow posted, or I guess Vogue magazine posted a video with Gwyneth Paltrow going through her morning skincare routine. 
And I don't know how else to say this, except that she talks and recommends using sunscreen like a highlighter. No, she doesn't. You didn't watch the video. I did watch the video. No, but she doesn't. I watched it too. The headlines are that Gwyneth Paltrow is saying, and I quote, use sunscreen like a highlighter. She's just, she didn't say that. She said, I use sunscreen like where the sun hits on my cheekbones and on my nose. She She, said that. Yes, she said where it naturally hits, but... Roll the tape. You know, I'm not a sort of head-to-toe slather of sunscreen, but I like to put some kind of on my nose and the area where the sun really hits. Okay, but she did not say I use it like a makeup product highlighter. She did like rub it all over her nose. So right. in the context guess, of the video, that is yeah. not like how you use a highlighter. True. But I guess in what people were freaking out about was it sort of seems irresponsible to recommend that you don't use sunscreen all over your face every single day. And that like where the sun hits the bones in your face is where you need sun protection because obviously you need sun protection everywhere. Yeah. By the way, I'm not like defending the <laughs> irresponsible sunscreen use. She used a very small amount like on the tip of her middle finger and just very lightly smeared it into the middle part of her face, none on her forehead. It's kind of like why even wear sunscreen at that point. And then, of course, like the rest of the video was just her talking about like toxic. It's like nothing new. If anything, my takeaway from this video is she, she, I think she's truly out of touch in a way where she's becoming very irrelevant. Is that too harsh? No, I think her fetish is that. I think her fetish is like being out of touch and being called out for it. I think she like gets off to that. At a certain point though, this whole like delving into quote unquote clean beauty and introducing that to the world and introducing all these like new ideas and scouring the earth for these like niche beauty rituals and whatever, but that's so, nobody cares anymore. The top liked comment on the Vogue magazine Instagram with her video is no Vogue, stop this. This article is a disgrace. She and her products are also a spit in the face of every woman. If you want good skincare advice, go read a book named Skincare by Caroline Hurons, not this. There's a lot of fury in the skincare community and in the sub community of SPF. Oh man. It reminds me of a situation that, and some hot water that you and I got ourselves into. And I will take full responsibility because I signed off on it. But we kind of, I mean, very stupidly allowed a reader to submit a recipe. It wasn't recipe. a reader. It was one of our writers. She's an excellent writer and she's actually very accomplished now in her career. Really? Okay. Well, she's we, we, like a very important person in fashion. We won't say who it is. Yeah, but we accepted a piece of writing on DIY sunscreen, which I wasn't thinking. I just didn't realize how angry the SPF people are on the internet and basically flipped out with good reason because it's super, irris- you know, you can't, think- you're not a chemist and you can't know that the. UV rating on a homemade SPF that you're buying zinc oxide from the internet and whatever is going to have the sun protection. So anyway, people freaked out. We took it down. We apologized. It was before cancel culture. Thank God. And the hinge, I think, at the time was we were going from, I didn't realize like kind of the influence that the website had. Yeah. It was that weird moment where it went from being this look into the personal routines of interesting people to we are giving you advice advice that maybe like you would that we assume maybe people took with a grain of salt but obviously it was irresponsible absolutely but I'm just trying to think back of like because you if we we were to talk about it now of course we would never (laughs) never do that it was right when the kind of curtain was being drawn back on the skincare industry this was sort of before like there were single ingredient serums and stuff like that so there was just less knowledge and awareness of safety and efficacy of different things and why you couldn't just make something yourself we're being very kind to Gwyneth right now (laughs) like we're we're kind of putting ourselves in the same boat. I know. Well, all, all I'm saying is that the SPF community should not and cannot be fucked with, and with good reason, because skin cancer is terrifying and scary and very real. The sun cannot be fucked with. Who do we think we are? It's the no. sun. It could decide yeah. to explode any day, and like we would not exist. You fuck um, with the sun, guess who's going to win? The sun. The sun. Mm-hmm. This is pretty major. Party B... It was announced this morning is launching a hair care line. 
that's amazing. And if you listen to this podcast, you'll know what other major celebrity with incredible influence is also launching a hair care line. I mean, there's so many. Who? Rihanna. Oh, right. Rihanna. Yeah, yeah, Rihanna. Fenty. And we just had Chris Appleton, we just did an interview with him talking about how the hair care category, you know, as you called it, dusty, seems like it's getting a, a nice clean Swiffer. I mean, what's interesting in Cardi B launching a hair care line is that she's doing it seemingly as a reaction, but also with her own history of a lot of confusion over this idea that she said people are very confused and think that every Hispanic person is Mexican and must have the same hair texture, color, and features. But she considers herself Afro-Latina, and she said being Hispanic and Latina doesn't make your hair long, doesn't make your skin light, and doesn't make your facial features slim, especially if you come from Latin countries from the Caribbean islands. DNA has something to do with your hair, not your nationality. She sort of said that hair texture doesn't make you a race. However, I am Afro-Latina. So What she's really planning to do is zero in on Afro-Latina hair care, which is a huge segment of the hair audience. Latino consumers, this is according to The Guardian, under 35 spent $663 million on beauty products in 2020. And as you said, Rihanna's launching Fenty Hair. Tracy Ellis Ross launched Pattern Beauty in 2019. There's going to be... Taraji P. Henson? She has a hair care line too. She has a hair care line. So I think there's just going to be that many more options depending on the exact and specific hair type you have, which is awesome because, and we talk about this in our interview with Chris Appleton, hair care is not a one size fits all. You know, one conditioner or one serum or mask that works for one person is definitely not going to work for someone else. Also, apparently your hair texture changes every nine years. A hairstylist once told me, (laughs) which makes sense for me because I had a bowl cut when I was 13 or 12, and now I have the curliest hair ever. I don't know how I could have had a bowl cut. I don't want to make this about me, but I do want to say that Chris Appleton said that I already have my iconic hair for me. And this is the guy that does every celebrity's iconic hair. I mean, that was cool. My quarantine hair is now my look. I mean, you could just sort of like do something with the ends, but... What for? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. To follow up on our story from last week about marijuana being legalized in New York, it turns out that the legislation does include expunging criminal records of people convicted of marijuana-related offenses. The law also will allow those who have sold marijuana illegally to have a chance to gain a legal sales license. So usually if you were a felon and you had committed a crime, you wouldn't be able to get one of these licenses. Interestingly, applications for licenses to operate marijuana-related businesses run by women and people of color will be prioritized under the new law. So it seems to be like a good starting place for weed legalization. You really buried the lead. (laughs) Weed is now legal in New York State. That was signed by the Governor Cuomo. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. We still don't like you. This doesn't undo what you've done. Cuomo. Cuomo, not me. I like you. As I like to say, no one's ever died of a weed overdose, and no one's ever died from abusing weed. The fact that like alcohol is dispensed willy-nilly at grocery stores and weed is illegal is insane. Yeah, I agree. So two things about this. You can grow your own plants. So there's going to be a lot of fire escape weed plants happening Mm. in New York. And I don't know about all that. I don't really like the smell of like fresh weed plants. I don't like the smell of burning weed. I'm a reformed pothead in that sense. But the other thing is, I just want to give a major shout out to Liz Kruger. Oh, (laughs) I thought you were going to talk about our favorite gummies. Continue. No, 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 hold on. To Liz Kruger, who was the sponsor of this bill to legalize weed in New York. She, I think, fought hard for all of these different Parts of the bill that make this slightly more fair to undo the things that have negatively been done to certain communities. And I think that is pretty great news. Yeah. Let's talk about our favorite weed gummies, Nick. Have we? I don't even know if they've been a product of the week, but they should be. They're Kiva gummies in the pineapple habanero flavor. And I'm going to tell you a tiny bit about my weed journey. I used to think because I struggle with anxiety and I would go into a weed store and you have your bud tender and they... There's nothing I hate more than, more than going a bud to tender. a dispensary. Well, because you ask them for advice and they like 
probably are just telling you what the latest thing that they're supposed to sell is. But anyway, like you take their advice because you have no idea about weed. And so anytime I go in and I say I struggle with anxiety, they would say you need an indica, which is, you know, a uh, more of like the downer and sativa is more of the upper. And I would get indicas and then I would feel super paranoid, super anxious, did not feel good. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm a sativa person. Maybe it's all this weed I'm smoking. (laughs) No. So then I started trying gummies that were sativa, which is more of the upper kind of weed. And I didn't feel paranoid and I felt amazing. And the Kiva pineapple habanero, they're sativa only. They're not even a hybrid. Gummies make you happy and social and alert. I would say like, don't take it past 6 p.m. or else you'll have trouble going to bed. One time I hadn't seen you, Nick, in, I don't know, over a year. And we went to see a movie. We went to see the all-female lead Ghostbusters. Pretty empty theater. You offered me a mint from a tin. So I took two. You didn't tell me that these were weed mints. I don't do well with eating weed. And Next thing I know, I come to in like a nice Italian restaurant in Midtown and we're like stuffing our face with like spaghetti and meatballs at like 1 a.m. It was very weird. That was the worst movie. I don't remember. (laughs) Even two weed mints couldn't save that movie for us. I just remember being like, I can't be here right now. Why am I here? Why is this waiter wearing a suit? What have I done? (laughs) So by contrast, news fresh out of Shanghai, CBD is no longer going to be allowed in cosmetics in China. So that means no CBD-infused face creams and body creams and anything like that. Funny. The public has until April 19th to submit their feedback on this issue, which I didn't realize that the government in China like <laughs> takes feedback. I wonder if that's more lip service, but this is big news because, number one, China is the world's biggest producer of hemp, which is the plant that CBD comes from. And there's production allowed in three of the provinces in China. And most of the hemp that is grown in China is exported. Exported. Huge cash crop for China. I wonder if this means that it'll be just more for the rest of the world. More for us? Okay, you want to hear something very interesting, like history, lesson time. Hemp used to be one of the U.S.'s biggest cash crops. Then prohibition happened. You know who grew hemp? George Washington. It used to grow wild on the sides of roads. Anyway, so... It's one step forward, one step backward for the burgeoning weed global community. So, and this is actually another continuation or of the story that we've been covering of Harry's, the razor company, and their thwarted acquisition because of monopoly concerns from the FTC. Harry's has rebounded seemingly, and they raised $155 million. And their plan is to continue expanding its own products and creating more brands so that they have a collection of consumer packaged good companies. So they have, at this point, Flamingo, which is the women's grooming brand. They have Headquarters, which we've talked about, which is the new hair care brand. And this new Series E raise was... $155 million values the company at $1.7 billion. And this actually comes after the planned acquisition by Edgewell, which valued the company at $1.37 billion. So seemingly they've had a great year. I guess 2020 was great. They're a direct-to-consumer company, but I guess they have a big target footprint. Anyway, they're now worth more money. So like this seems like a silver lining. Sales were up 25% in 2020 for Harry's. Were they now? I need to see According to a spokesperson for the brand, as quoted in Women's Wear Daily, in 2020, Harry's sales were up 25% to $370 million, according to a spokesperson. Because we did all this news coverage about how razor sales were like something. Right. But I guess Harry, I mean, Harry's, I assume they're talking about all the Harry's brands and they're just making moves. They're expanding internationally. They are, as I said, in Target. And the fundraise was not led by Ding Dongs. It was Bain Capital and Macquarie Capital. You know, Bain is a big deal. So I just get anxiety thinking about these imaginary, all this stuff is imaginary, right? 
these like valuations. I know when we were, when the first time we were raising money, the first time I ever was in a meeting with potential investors. And I remember them saying like, oh, well, this company's doing really well because they've raised a hundred million dollars or whatever. And I thought to myself, that means that you owe someone else a yeah. hundred million dollars before exactly. you can even like break even. And it's not even that you owe them, right? Because if you don't do well, like they just lose that money. Yeah. Which I guess is like better for the person raising, but not really. Although you hear a lot of like founders, I mean, Gabby from Magic Spoon is like a good example. Like they failed the first time, but they're still great people and they still like did cool things. The idea just didn't work out for whatever reason. And they'll raise money again, even more money the next time, which I have thoughts about, but I'm going to hold them um, in. But it just gives me anxiety because it is, it's like you're rich on paper. You have no liquid assets, right? Yeah. The valuation thing is a funny thing. It's, it's imaginary. But I think that what's interesting in the context of beauty is this idea that you can rebound from these like pretty terrible, if you're the founder of Harry's or of Billy Razors, like these terrible situations in which like you think you're going to be acquired. The FTC says, no, this would create a monopoly. And there's still a comeback. Can you imagine thinking that you can just like go and retire and then it's like, wait, no, no, like, you have to literally like, one day you're like putting an offer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, and oh, go finally. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, now you have to go into India and you have to launch 10 brands. Speaking of the internet. And imaginary things. Yep. NFTs, which for those who are not sure of what they are. You've come to the wrong place. You've come to the wrong place. <laughs> NFT, for those who don't know, stands for non-fungible token. Essentially what it is, is a digital asset that is a unique asset that is now being sold like physical artwork. So like imagine the Mona Lisa, mm -hmm. but imagine that instead of being a painting that hangs in the Louvre, it is something created on a computer that mm -hmm. lives on a website. And people have bought these things. I'm now quoting another podcast. Oh, the Glowing Up Girls. They were talking about NFTs and explaining that basically, yes, you could say that anyone could screenshot the website on which this NFT lives and then they would have their own version of it. But you could also take a picture of the Mona Lisa and blow it up or buy a reproduction of it. Like anyone can copy any art. So what makes it different? from physical art. But anyway, like the sales and the auctions for these NFTs are going through the roof. Also, just an interesting note about this form of art is that because it's digital, because it carries data with it wherever it goes, if it is resold, if it is reproduced, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, but basically it can still be tracked back to the original artist and they will actually still be able to earn money off of future sales, which is pretty interesting. The first virtual non-fungible token to be sold at a major auction house, which was Christie's, sold for $69 million. And it was by an artist named Beeple. Beeple? Oh, yeah. People it's, love it's a, Beeple. A guy named Mike Winkleman who goes by the, the code name Beeple. He's now considered one of the most expensive living artists, just below David Hockney and Jeff Koons. Wow. <sighs> Anyway, all of which is to say, bringing it back to beauty, that Isamaya French, that creative wonderkind who designed the Bayredo makeup line with Ben Gorham. We Gorum, need to have her on. She's just... I know. She made an NFT that will be auctioned next week, and you can see it on her Instagram, at Isamaya French. She did it with someone named Khan Ulgener, Ulgener who looks like to be a, a digital artist. She creative directed it. It's a picture of like a nun with like a crazy like mechanical eye mask thing on. Anyway, happy bidding. So we've known for a while that James Charles was working on his own beauty cosmetics line because he wore it on the cover of one of the international Vogue's that he was photographed for. But now he is in the news again, not for anything good. There are new accusations that he was soliciting underage boys on social media. Obviously, we don't know whether this is true or false, but he does have a history of these accusations. The interesting thing for me is just how engaged these like online communities are. You kind of knew something was brewing because 
people that follow these major celebrities that are in these like friendship circles, for instance, Selena Gomez, one of the top followed Instagram celebs. Of course, she's a celebrity outside of Instagram. Don't quote me on calling Selena Gomez an Instagram celeb. I myself do not want to get canceled. But she only follows, you know, 170 people. So people immediately notice when these huge celebrities unfollow people. And so that's where the news started coming from that like, oh, this is a serious thing because to protect their own public image as like a PR move, huge celebrities have now been unfollowing James Charles. And that's how like the fandom realized that something is is very serious here. It's also interesting that we're in a moment in culture where a follow is an implicit endorsement. You know, what about hate following? But celebrities are under the microscope. And if they're following someone who is, what's the euphemism that people use now? Not complicated. Problematic? Problematic. If they're following someone problematic, that's like an implicit endorsement, which I don't necessarily think it is. I think that it's not saying I love this person. It's saying I'm interested in what they're Instagramming. And again, Let's hear it for the hate follows. Do we want to talk about some L.A. real estate news? Let's do it. <laughs> so Lady Gaga, it was announced in Williamsburg Daily, your alma mater. Yes. Has opened a quote unquote creative hub in L.A. County, <laughs> which is an interesting way that they put it in the headline, <laughs> with Klarna. The pay later. One of the buy now pay later services. And they're also providing $10,000 grants and mentorships to creators. What I'm taking from this article, you know, they have photos of lots of mirrored surfaces. <laughs> they have a soundstage. They have a psych, like, studio set up. They have a glam room. Outside, it's called the studio. So it just looks like basically a content creation space that has everything that you would possibly need to create all sorts of content. It sounds like also in this space, her house labs team will be... House labs. House. Wait, say it. How do you house. say it? House. It looks like a set for like an Instagram slash TikTok slash social media star. My question is, does anybody need this? to build a following and cult of personality online. It seems like people can just do this out of their basement or just wherever they are with their iPhone, no matter what. Yeah, no. In other real estate news, Violet Gray, the Hollywood beauty store founded by Cassandra Gray, closed its physical retail location, which was on Melrose Place, and they are doubling down on their digital storefront, which is violetgray.com. Obviously, this was bound to happen as an effect of COVID and the decline of the in-store consumer. But Violet Gray has always really, in many ways, been a content play from the beginning. I remember when they launched with like an Eva Mendez photo shoot by some fancy photographer. And it was always this idea of content and commerce hand in hand. But now the store, which was really cute, kind of like a jewel box on Melrose Place, is no more. I mean, impossible to find parking, for one. Impossible to find parking on Melrose Place, but a really cute store. But they now have a service called hashtag Violet at your service, which is a personal shopping resource for customers to use via text. And Violet Gray, as a former, or I guess still beauty founder, is a very influential retailer. So it is a retailer that signals to other retailers, bigger retailers, other brands you might partner with, that you are a well-vetted brand because they started the Violet Code or I forget what it was called. But anyway, it's in order to get into Violet Gray, you have to be approved by like five different experts, whether they're makeup artists or hairstylists or dermatologists or whatever like category your product is in. They send it to like their people and you have to be approved. So any product that makes it into Violet Gray, there's a stamp of approval on it from people who use these products every day. So it's interesting that they won't have a store anymore, but you know, what are stores at this point? I have like an interesting arts and culture thing. Okay, so normally I don't really care about celeb drama, but I am fascinated by PR moves, the PR machine, and the way that social media and these anonymous kind of celeb gossip sources like Dumois kind of open up this whole like land of chaos for this industry for like Hollywood that used to be a very well-oiled machine. So everybody remembers when Justin Timberlake issued the apology to 
Janet Jackson and, and Britney Spears after the Free Britney documentary came out, right? Is everybody like coming along with yeah, me? Yeah, I just seem so not a Justin Timberlake fan, but continue. Okay, so he had to apologize to Britney because he, you know, if you saw the documentary, it kind of pointed out ways that he fueled the fire in painting her in a bad light when in fact, like, she was very much a victim. And then also it brought to light kind of the way he was not forced to take any sort of responsibility for the Super Bowl fiasco where he, you know, ripped Janet Jackson's top and she had the cool star thing over her nipple which is like pretty iconic yet she was lambasted and it was basically a nightmare for her and she I think she had to apologize in the end which was just insane anyway so he recently issued an apology everybody kind of rolled their eyes at it anyway it felt like it was written by his publicist whatever this week Janet on Instagram minding her own business posted you know a um, inspirational quote The quote reads, always choose to heal, not hurt, to forgive, not to despise, to persevere, not to quit, to smile, not to frown, and to love, not to hate. And Justin Timberlake's manager, who never heard of before, comments, you should take this advice and to, sick, apply it to your relationship with Justin. So obviously the Janet stands freaked out which people were like okay so we already knew this but clearly the apology was not genuine justin feels no remorse this is the attitude of his team like publicly trying to call janet jackson out and her fans came out in full force just (laughs) commenting on this guy's latest post this stuff can get very nasty very quickly but some of the comments were kind of funny one of them was you will never know peace (laughs) I mean, it's just like, read the room. Where is the team? Where is Justin's team being like, I bet, I, I bet there's a big meeting happening today with Justin's team. Is this guy just senile? Do you think it's just like senile? Is it like Trump behavior? I think it is cis male behavior. You will never know peace. I don't know why that one just cracks me up. So here at Eyewitness Beauty, we like to think of ourselves as a news program, you know, a magazine show, I think they're called. And as such, you know, we want to make sure that every week, whatever's happening that week, we have an interview with someone who is somehow involved in the news and we can, you know, ideally move the story forward in some way. That said, this week, the news that we couldn't stop talking about was a survey that came out out of the UK which named Prince William as the sexiest bald man in the world. And to say the internet flipped out would be an understatement. Everyone had a conniption and everyone weighed in on who they thought, you know, was more deserving of the title of world's sexiest bald man from Stanley Tucci to The Rock to Shamar Moore. There are many sexy bald men to choose from besides Prince William. And so Annie and I wanted to figure out how to move this story forward. And we asked our friend of the pod, Yasser Lester, for, to put it bluntly, like an expert in being bald or bald men. And he pointed us in the direction of the writer and comedian, and he calls himself a prominent figure in the bald community, Mr. Julius Sharp who actually, he literally wrote the book on being bald and going bald called So You're Going Bald. And it is available for sale wherever you buy your books. But we thought, who better to talk to about this controversy and the objectification of bald men in our society, how it feels to be a bald man in culture, and whether he agrees or disagrees with the results of this Fakakta survey. Here's my interview with Julius Sharp. Tell me a little bit about your experience. How are you an expert? I'm calling you an expert, but now I'm asking you to tell me why. Well, well, I went bald. So, I mean, who better to comment on various bald men than someone who's gone through it and continues to go through it? I mean, it's, you know, you can tell that there's not much there, but it still gets worse. It's ongoing. Is there a tipping point after which, or like where... In the bald community, you just shave it all off? For me, I was doing something where I had created this sort of faux hawk. It was sort of like the smarter take on a comb over. So instead of growing like one side long and flipping it over, what I did was I grew 
both sides kind of long and then pushed them up into like a kind of mohawk, like a fauxhawk. Got it. What it, product did you use to like cement it there? See, I wasn't real sophisticated about that stuff. So I, I had some variety of, you know, early 2000s gel. I'm sure it was, you know, Redken or Paul Mitchell or whatever was the priciest thing they had at Rudy's Barbershop. If you bought it at a barbershop, that means that a hairstylist co-signed this approach. Well, they'll take your money. And one of the things that I give my last barber a lot of credit for, because I no longer get my hair styled, I just sort of shave it whenever I feel like it, is he was very good at giving me the illusion that there was an actual debate over like, what do we do with your hair this time? Which is something (laughs) that I think people come in to places like that for some reinvention of zhuzhing up. And, you know, he gave me the sort of grace of feeling like I had choices. So I appreciated that. But it just sort of became clear as the Fohawk became increasingly transparent that it wasn't working. And it also coincided with I met my wife to be or who's now my wife. And people think I'm making this up, but I'm not. The morning after I got married, I lost 20 percent of my hair. Like we woke up and the circle was bigger. And I I think there was something evolutionary going on where my hair got me to the point where I was mating. And then it was like, we can't do this yep. anymore. And then it just bailed. Because even she was like, what happened? My story is sort of similar to Andre Agassi, where I think he had gotten a haircut or something and then realized he was going bald. Like I had really long hair that was my identity. I had hair sort of down to here. And then I got this big haircut and it became clear that this long hair was covering up some baldness. So I was very panicked about that. And so for for your hair, it's been downhill from there. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's no. I'm one. So I mean, it's become increasingly sparse. But how has your confidence in it been? I'm getting old. I'm 48, I think. I have kids, so I don't care anymore. And co- with coronavirus, I've been inside for a year. I've just been eating pizza. I don't care about anything anymore. So. I now just like I've let it grow out. I I used to shave it all the time and I was doing a kind of cool Stanley Tucci thing, but I've abandoned all grooming. I feel you on that because the way that I talk about coronavirus and its sort of like effect on my physical well-being and my skincare routine and my it, it's like I've given up completely. I've given up on wearing anything that doesn't have an elastic band and some people have said, "Well, that sounds like clinical depression." but I just think it's we've realized that there's no point I only wear things that are made from a material called schlub terry so I've given up I'm in a shroud of schlub terry cloth and I'm waiting to either die or to get an injection that will let me I'm just in a stasis you're in like a limbo yeah yeah but bald men are used to disaster by the way bald men are very well conditioned to survive disaster because their head itself is a disaster. So who better? I have many questions about sort of the upkeep of a bald head. But first of all, you know, a lot of these studies come out and they're published and it's sort of a PR move that who's naming Prince William the sexiest bald man in the world? Yeah, bald men weren't. That is a great segue to my question. So the survey was, I guess, orchestrated by a UK-based from what I can understand, like a plastic surgery tourism company that is based in the UK. It's called Longevita. They hook you in the UK and then they outsource the actual surgery procedures to Turkey. This all sounds extremely legitimate. Yeah. And I'm only assuming that they must be promoting like a hair restoration something for them to have done this. But according to them, the esteemed Longevita clinic in the UK, what they did is they searched the internet, probably like a guy, you know, in an office for how many times any bald man had been called sexy Mm -hmm. in like a headline or an article. And according to their research, Prince William was called sexy 17.6 million times. And then the number two was Mike Tyson Mm. at 8.8. And then Jason Statham, which kind of checks out. Then Pitbull and then Michael Jordan. Just initial reactions to that list. 
my initial reaction. So I, I, again, don't think bald people were asked, they'd have a different opinion, but I, sort of my perspective is that the sexiest bald man is the richest bald man. And that is Jeff Bezos. Because if you take away the prince from the William, no one's putting that guy on a list no. of anything. Nope. So it's all title. So if that's the and criteria. Bezos is kind of sexy. Well, the fact that he clearly doesn't care about anything except himself, money. And by the way, going to Mars or other planets is really big with a bald because we always think we'll be better off somewhere else. So it's like if a bald guy gets rich, the first thing he wants to do is like launch himself to Pluto. So I, I think like Bezos, can, where, right, yeah. no one there knows what hair is or if, you know, it's a chance to start over right. and everyone will think, oh, we only know this one guy. He's bald. Therefore, this is the best thing because this is the person they launched into space. So Scott Kelly, the guy who was the longest resident of the space station, the International Space Station, I think he was up there 400 some days. He's bald. And I go into this in the book a little bit that like, he has nothing to do on Earth, as do most bald men. We're just sitting around. No one's asking (laughs) us to do stuff. So like, you can just launch us into space and we can stay there and perform experiments It's the perfect thing for us to be doing. You mentioned that obviously bald men weren't consulted in the survey. To flip that on its head, we're at a survey of strictly bald men Mm -hmm. who would top the list. Well, again, Bezos, I think Larry David would have to be up there. I think Larry David and The Rock are the yin yang of like baldness. Like one way you can go is to just become such an incredible pain in the ass and bring the entire world down to your level. Like you go, you know what? I'm miserable and I'm going to make you miserable and you miserable and you miserable. And we're all going to be miserable. But since I'm the best at being miserable, I'll be the most powerful. The other way is The Rock where you overachieve by so much. Like you go, I'm going to lift weights 15 hours a day and only eat cod in a regimen and develop this smile. And even my eyebrow has a muscle where I can move that independently. And I'm going to achieve so much, it's undeniable. And I actually, this is a true story. So when I lived in Santa Monica, I used to go to Gold's Gym, which is right on the border there. And I used to, this was back when I was single, I would, on a Friday night, I would drink and then I would feel so bad about drinking that I would go work out at like, 10 p.m. on Friday to go like, oh, maybe this will make up for abusing myself. Maybe this will help. And I would go. And one night I was in the gym and there was one other person there and it was The Rock. And he was already a big star, just lifting huge weights by himself. And that's how he does it is because it's he's in the gym at 1030 on a right Friday. on a Friday by himself. Right. No one watching except another bald guy who's so drunk that, and guilty feeling that he's <laughs> torturing himself on a recumbent exercise bike. But so I would say those two are to me the, the pinnacle of baldness as opposed to Prince William. I've long thought that people who didn't blossom until after high school, mm. so maybe even college maybe even after college, had better personalities and were more interesting and fun because they, from childhood through middle school, through high school, had to rely on other things aside from their looks. Obviously, you're not going bald when you're a little kid, but do you feel like you've had to develop any other aspects of your personality since becoming bald because you couldn't rely on your hair, you said, which was part of your identity? Well, you sort of go through a second adolescence because you've learned to live one way. And then this other thing is thrust upon you that so radically changes your appearance and it changes the way you think people are thinking about you, whether that is true or not, I do not know. But so you have to sort of cobble together a new personality on the fly. And I think that, you know, bald men do tend to be like overachievers analytical for that reason, because it's, you know, you're never more strong than when you're drowning, right? Because what's the alternative? And I think as a bald guy, You're never more interesting than as you're going bald because you'll reach for anything. Like you'll start taking care of a python, you know, you'll start riding a unicycle, you'll learn to juggle, you'll get a saxo, you'll try anything to just distract from what's going on on top of your head. You know, it's like Stanley Tucci is presenting himself as this expert in, you know, Italian food. Like someone with hair <laughs> can just eat pasta Couldn't at just home. do that. Yeah. yeah. Like they could be like, you know what? I like pizza. I enjoy red wine. I like chicken parm. I don't need to like make a whole big deal about it. But so like the sunnier side of this, one could argue, is that 
this idea of like the sexiest bald man and maybe a trope in our society of like a really sexy bald head. And like there's probably been movies and TV shows where that's kind of been a thing. Do you feel objectified ever for having a bald head? First of all, I can't recall a movie or TV show where there were people ogling a bald person for their baldness. They might have been ogling like a good looking bald person, but I don't think it was ever like. And the best part is he's bald. (laughs) Fair. But do I feel objectified? I think bald men are, are largely in a trap set by themselves. I feel like maybe I objectify myself as a worthless object. Not anymore so much, but I'm saying when I went bald. But I, I think your mind starts racing when you're bald about what everyone else is thinking, which you know anyone who's had any therapy knows is just a recipe for disaster. And you're never right. accurate. The truth is most people are not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves and their own. I always say that. I say like anytime you think that someone is like thinking about what you just said to them or like when you leave a room that they're talking about you or thinking about you, they're not. They're thinking about themselves 100% of the time. Yeah. And no so, one cares about you. And so I don't know that anyone's objectifying bald people because I don't know that anyone cares enough to put that effort in. I'm trying to think if there have been any... You know how George Clooney before Amal dated a cocktail waitress and would break up every two years? And that's like a sort of known pattern. Are there any female celebrities you can think of or even non-celebrities who have just like always dated a bald man? Like bald chasers? Yeah. Is that what they're called? I don't know. (laughs) I never encountered (laughs) them in my life, but I can't think of anyone offhand. But it always seems like someone's with a bald man for a secondary reason, like this sort of younger girlfriend Jeff Bezos has, you know, again, it's like, were he not running Amazon? Is that who she would take up with? I don't think so. I think Jeff Bezos is hot. He's obviously very clearly smart. So the fact that he's as rich as he is, yes, that's like maybe the icing on the cake, but like a very smart and fit, you know, guy with a gleaming bald head seems like a catch. Even forget the billions. Yeah. I mean, you're not not sold. It wasn't in my experience, but maybe my head wasn't (laughs) gleaming enough. Maybe I wasn't shining it. What's sexy about Jeff Bezos, even sexy about Larry David, is that they, and it's a stupid term, but like they own it. There's a aspect to these sexy bald people where it's like they've decided to really lean into it. You know, Jeff Bezos has a gleaming, you know, he's obviously using something to buff it. But generally, you know, The Rock has shaved off the rest of his head. He's gotten super fit. He's kind of become this Mr. Clean personified thing. Is there a process that you went through to sort of like owning it and like leaning into it? I would say that you can carefully study other people to the point where you can convincingly replicate what looks like confidence. Bald people are very good observers, very good studiers, because we have time by ourselves to do that. (laughs) And that when you replicate these behaviors, they are very convincing, but that when you then go home and you're by yourself, if someone said, I could snap my fingers and give you hair now, you would say, absolutely, please do it. I'll take it. So whatever this confidence is, there's not a person alive who wouldn't trade it for their hair back. A hundred percent of bald people would, if you could give them one wish. Anyone who says otherwise is lying because you could always still shave it if you wanted to, but at least you'd have options. Who wouldn't take options? Options. Like no one goes on the prices right and wins and says like, ah, you know what? I don't really feel like paying the taxes. Like they just take the (laughs) stuff with the idea that like, I can do something with this. So I do think that you offer even the most confident, successful bald man in the world, this hair. It's like, it's the price is right thing that you might pay the taxes on that you go, eh, well, I can shave it. I I got options. (laughs) Okay, so... When I got LASIK, not to sort of equate my struggle with yours, but I'm very farsighted. Okay. No, nearsighted. Nearsighted. Yes. I can't see far. You know, wore contacts, glasses, you know, it was an option to kind of change your look. And it completely can change the way you appear to someone else or are perceived by someone else. And when I got LASIK, it was, I kind of had to like let go of those options, right? Of like saying like, you know, if I want to look smarter or if I want to look more Brooklyn or something, I could put on a pair of these different glasses. When you went bald, did you sort of rely more heavily on other ways to provide yourself with options, for example, glasses or your fashion or anything else? I have 
in my drawer at home an optometrist case of glasses. Yeah, me too. So I have several. And that, you know, I, I would just say that, you know, even with LASIK, you could still have the option of sunglasses. I mean, I've looked at the glasses from every angle. The ones you're wearing now are very Tom Ford. You know, they're like a cool, chunky aviator. These are Cutler and Gross, which are like... Yeah, those are like a very cool brand. Are those like a post post balding Yeah, because purchase. all this money that I'm not spending on shampoo... I don't own a bottle of shampoo. I don't own a <laughs> bottle of conditioner. I don't own... I own zero, you know, I have a skin moisturizer and that's it. But it's like, I can buy $400 glasses because I never go to get my hair cut. Right. It's like if you didn't buy a coffee every day, like how much would you save? It's like all right. that shampoo and conditioner. Yeah. And these, these, and you, you were know, buying the good stuff. You were buying Redken and all the expensive stuff. Well, I mean, at the time, I don't know how much I was, I was going through a bottle maybe every few months, but yeah. Do you think that baldness has gone in and out of trendiness have there been waves where you felt more sort of like in the zeitgeist versus on the periphery no it just always felt horrible <laughs> did you go to therapy like did you actually like come to did you make amends or does it still feel bad i hope it doesn't i, w I went to therapy for look i don't want to you know side rail this whole thing but i always sound like a lunatic when i talk about this stuff but i had this most severe crippling back pain and like nerve pain in my legs and there's a book called healing back pain by this guy dr john sarno and his whole thing is that back pain is psychological, not that it's fake pain, but it's based on repressed emotions. And primarily the repressed emotion that causes back pain is rage. So like, did I have a ton of repressed rage over the unfairness of a world where everyone seemingly has hair except for me? Yes. So it wasn't solely that, like there were a lot of other right. personal familial yeah. things that contribute to that. But I think uh, you become aware of mortality very early because, you know, most people won't go yeah. like, oh, my God, I've got wrinkles around my eyes till, you know, 40 or you go, God, it's getting harder to stay in shape. But like when you're 25. No, that's actually that's, that's totally true because I'm 37 and, and I'm just my skin. It's getting more wrinkly. I'm getting grays, like all that stuff. It does make you weirdly, even though you're still young, I'm still young, confront that concept of aging and that this is like only going to get worse. Yeah. And I guess going bald is like a very visceral way of experiencing. Yeah. That. I mean, I say that it's sort of like you instantly go from 25 to 60 and then you just look 60 until you're 90. You do sort of adapt to being bald weirdly. Like now I think people, if, you know, I did get a toupee at one point and I was wearing it around. And it just, it made people angry who knew me. It weirded them out. And so you sort of do adapt to being bald and, and everyone adapts to you being bald. And it upsets them when you get hair, I found. Which I attributed to people don't like when good things happen to me. Like it's great for you to have hair, but then all of a sudden <laughs> I have hair. And like you have a problem. So in terms of the beauty industry and it's sort of like inclusion or exclusion of bald men, obviously there are a lot of, you know, hair loss products there's Rogaine, there's the yeah. finasteride, there's all those different things. Did you try any of that stuff? Does it work? Uh, I tried Rogaine a little bit. It didn't seem to do much for me. I didn't want to start taking the the medication. Once I read that like potential side effects were impotence, I just did not take it because I, as I, as I say in my book, like you can either be bald or impotent. That seems like an either or to me. <laughs> Yeah, you can't be bald. like someone might overlook one of those things, but compounded, it's almost exponential how much worse it is in the same package. So yeah, I didn't do too much. And my attitude for the beauty industry is I think it's very good for other people. But I would say that like my personal attitude is there was a, a comedian, the late comedian who was a friend of mine, Brody Stevens used to get up and tell the audience, I hate you first. That's sort of my attitude toward the beauty industry is like, before you can reject me, just so you know, I'm rejecting you. I mean, you have a big, full, luscious beard right now. Yes. So and we've actually talked on the podcast how like grooming products and beard oils and serums and all that stuff have become a big category in the last few years. So there is that world of products for you to play to play in. Are you not? I am so out of, of the, the habit. Like, what about identifying um, as a bearded guy? I mean, I, if you were gay, I would say a bear, but whatever the straight equivalent yeah. of a bear is. Like, what about that category? 
flipping the script. Just, I'm so out of the habit of doing it that I guess I would, if someone presented me with a beard chap or whatever they call it, (laughs) would I put it in? Maybe, but I kind of enjoy the sort of dry texture of my beard at the end it gathers. So I don't, I don't know. I, again, it feels like a compromise. It's the ice milk of cosmetics. Like you go, Hey, it's a frozen yogurt. You go, Hey, do you want a frozen yogurt? It's like, uh, I, it's like, I either kind of want ice cream and I'm just telling myself what I'm doing without a lie. Or you know what? Maybe no dessert tonight. And I count that as a healthy. These are two questions which might take a second to answer. But if you had to add one celebrity to the bald ranks. Oh, you mean I can make someone bald? Oh, I love this question. Well, it can be like either like a curse or it could be like also someone who just exudes big, you know, bald energy. Yeah. That you would want to come into it or would be a good spokesperson for the community. Uh, Donald Trump. I just want him to be bald. I want to see that. I don't want him to associate him with it, but I would I want him to have to go through it and I want his followers to see it and I I would love that. But okay, interesting. But my next question was like, is there someone, a bald man or woman in the bald community who you wish had hair, who like didn't represent, you know, the bald people worldwide? I don't hate on other bald people. I just don't do it. I I can't think of anyone who, you know, look, we're always glad for anyone to come into the community. I mean, that's the thing is we're very welcoming. Like we don't put on airs. Do you clock another bald man if you see one in a meeting or like in a big conference? You know, I haven't had those recently, but. I'm always happy when there's another one. Certainly. I have bonded with people over that. For sure. Well, we're the two bald guys. You know, it's just a shorthand that you know you've shared this thing. It's almost like a shortcut to friendship. So you're in quarantine still and you haven't gotten vaxxed yet. But when you do and the world opens up, where can people find you? And then what was next for you? Like career wise, I have a show at Amazon based on a podcast called Dumb People Town. It's an animated show that will be coming out at some point, but we're animating it and recording it and writing it right now. But they will probably find me just at a bar hammered. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have not had a drink since Thanksgiving because I said, I'm not going to be a drunk quarantine person. I'm not going to do that to myself when this is over. I think for everyone, it's going to be the roaring 20s, right? Like I think rules are off. I think it's going to be like is that Dwazino the kiss in Times Square? I think like people mm-hmm. are going to be doing that to even people like me. And in the meantime, you're also on Twitter at Julius Sharp. Julius Sharp. And you're very funny on Twitter. So I recommend that everyone follow you. And I'm excited for this Amazon show. I feel like Jeff Bezos, I would imagine, is listening to this podcast. So, you know, I feel like he's already a fan. You know? Could go the other way. He could see me as a threat to his bald hegemony. True. So, you know, I, I, I'd <laughs> rather him just not think about me at all. Let's be off his Fair radar. Enough. Julius, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. We'll check in with you next year when they reveal the 2021 sexiest bald man and see if the ranks have changed. I would love that. And thank you for giving a bald man an opportunity. Before we get into product of the week, I just wanted to shout out, we had a bunch of responses about whether people bought ColourPop and if they bought ColourPop, whether they were also of the generation that watched Lizzie McGuire because we were questioning who the audience was for a ColourPop Lizzie McGuire collaboration. A lot of people said that we were right on the money, that they watched Lizzie McGuire, but they would never buy ColourPop. Some people said that they did buy ColourPop, but believed us nonetheless. Someone said, I'm 27, grew up with Lizzie McGuire. However, I would not use the new Lizzie products. I agree with Annie that it seems very little girl. I never use ColourPop. Specifically, the eye palettes have never really appealed to me. I tend towards more multi-purpose brands that I can wear to work and going out. Also, I'm 18 weeks pregnant right now, so I'm living for Nick's baby Rex. Congratulations, Tiffany. Someone else said that I was the prime demographic for when Lizzie McGuire came out. I'm now 28 and in no way interested in buying the ColourPop collab. 
I'm confused as to who they're trying to reach with this collection because the products look very teenagery and Lizzie fans are almost 30. I was theorizing about this. I took a little time to reflect. I wonder if it's kind of the same way that, what was the show that Jared Leto was on? My So-Called Life. Uh, My So-Called Life. Okay, so I was a little too young for My So-Called Life, but then it had this resurgence later on. And I'm wondering if maybe there's some of that happening with the Lizzie McGuire thing. I mean, Lizzie McGuire fashion and like style is not something that like people want to emulate yet. Like Jared Leto. Uh, Nick, for as much time as he's been on TikTok, I would imagine that you... But don't you think like more relevant to what's going on right now is like Claire Danes and Jared Leto in My So-Called Life? No, absolutely not. Check Depop. It's all about the baby tea. It's all about like the the light limited to reference. Yeah, then I'm totally wrong. It's all about feather pens and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, all of which is to say, we seem to be right. However... I thought this was a great reader submitted. I'm going to call it a reader submitted product of the week because she gave us a great dupe for Becca's champagne highlighter, which as we have talked about, Becca is no more, but their one really iconic product was the champagne pop highlighter. And a woman named Jackie Strauss said, I'm 31 and I own ColourPop, she says with an exclamation point. And she just wanted to let us know that super shock Cheek in Flexitarian, Flexitarian is the ridiculous shade name, is a dupe, an exact dupe for Becca Champagne Pop Highlighter. Did you editorialize her review? Did you say it was a ridiculous name or did she? That was all me. Jackie Strauss wrote something completely innocuous about the name Flexitarian, but she said she'd love a shout out on the pod. She loves us. We love you. We love everyone who DMs us. Flexitarian Super Shock Cheek from ColourPop. You heard it here first. Annie, what product of the week do you have? Well, I have a date tonight, so <laughs> I didn't have one planned, but I guess we could do a little like what's in my bag. Because I love that. Five minutes before I had yeah. to leave, I like packed makeup. Date and night. Okay, what did I bring? What were the products that I had to have? I think I've talked about most of this stuff before. Yeah, you guys already know about the Byredo mascara. Ooh, I have a ColourPop. I have a ColourPop <laughs> product. That's breaking news. <laughs> Okay, but the thing is, they discontinued it. So this is my only ColourPop product that I've ever used, and I actually use it. I'm going to tell you a little contouring secret. Look, it's so worn down. The label is totally gone. I don't even know what this product would be called, but it is in a white tube, and it's a twist-up product. It looks like the shade name was Dove. It is a cool, neutral tan And I believe it was like a contour stick and it's a skinny contour stick. It's like the size of their long lipstick product. Because people can't see it. It looks in the stick much darker than your skin tone. So it's like, it's for the shadows. Uh, Yeah, it's for contouring. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's a contour stick, but it's very skinny. Normally you see contour products and they're like at least three times the size of this. But I use it specifically. I'll show you, Nick. She's doing it right around her nostrils. Right above my nostrils. I just where the shadows hit your nostrils. This is where I like to put sunscreen underneath, (laughs) just right at the tip of my nostril. And what I think it does is somebody don't nobody has to feel bad for me, but somebody told me I had like a bulbous nose one time and it really stuck (laughs) with me because I think that's a disgusting word. And I think it just gives me a little bit of a little, you know, a little bit of like a petite little like, yeah, it pinches it just interesting. So a little bit of darker concealer or like a contour stick right on the tips of your nostrils Mm -hmm. helps take a bulbous nose from bad to fab. Okay. Yeah. So ColourPop, if you're listening, bring back your little skinny contour stick. I just, I think it's great. My product of the week is a hat. And specifically, it is a style of hat because I have them in about 10 colors. They're sold by a website called MyNougin, M-Y-N-O-O-G-I-N. And what's kind of amazing, I mean, MyNougin is not going to blow your mind as like a e-commerce experience. But what's amazing about it is whoever is doing their colors is phenomenal at their job because... They have neons and regular primary colors and all sorts of colors in a very simple acrylic beanie, which they're calling the original knit fisherman beanie cap. And I have about five of them and the colors are vibrant and like really beautiful. So bravo on the color research. They have like an amazing burgundy, like wine red 
They have a lime green that's really beautiful. They have fluorescent yellow. They have a dark gray. They have a really pretty hot pink. They're $10.99. If you buy three, you get 10% off. I would say if you're looking for something for like heat, this is more of like a fashion moment. This is like an LA specific beanie. As they say on the website, these are fitted smaller to fit the top of your head. They don't cover most adult ears. But they're $10.99. They come really quickly. And again, in beautiful colors, I am obsessed with them. And you can get them on mynougin.com. Thank you, Nick. Welcome. Now I want a, like a nougat like chocolate bar. You know what? I think it's time that we let everyone go, but not before we tell you that Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our album art is by Simon Abronowitz. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can. We are at Eyewitness Beauty, and if you want to email us, you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and upvote and tell your friends because honestly, word of mouth is the way that we're going to take over the world. And we appreciate every review, even if it's not so positive. We appreciate honesty and really letting it all out there. So we love you. Until next time, Arrivederci. I'm going to leave with a paraphrased quote from Gwyneth Paltrow's Vogue YouTube video. If you want to get in to wellness and beauty. Her advice is to sit quietly alone with yourself. This will give you a lot of information and you'll make decisions with integrity. Bye guys. <laughs> <laughs>